The scripture this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us right now. And by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us ears to hear you speaking to us through your word this morning. Lord, glorify only your name. Change us, make us more like yourself. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Some of you are familiar with the name Eric Weyenmeyer. He calls himself an unrealistic optimist. And that's a good description for Eric because he was the first blind climber to summit Mount Everest. Uh, Now he does business and a lot of charity work, seeking to help people, as he says, see the world in new ways. Now, he was interviewed by Fast Company magazine a few years back, and one of the questions they asked him was, what do you look for in teammates? And this was his response. He said, I hear people say, seeing is believing. I want people who believe the opposite. Believing is seeing. You've got to believe first. You can tell who those people are. You say, hey, you want to climb Everest with a blind guy? Pretty quickly, you'll figure out who's a believer. Believing is seeing. It's something very similar to what St. Augustine said in the 5th century. Augustine said, believe so that you may understand. You know, so many people think, well, if if I just understand it all, if I get enough information, then I might believe. Augustine said, it doesn't work that way. Believe so that you might understand. Eric, Augustine, have some things in common with Bartimaeus from our text this morning. And what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to just walk through each verse one at a time. I'm going to point out some things to you so that you can, on your own individually or in your small groups, take some of these things and explore them further or talk about them further. And then at the end, I'll, I'll point out a couple of things particularly. So, let's go through this, beginning once again in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So right off the bat, we're introduced to Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Now, if you've been with us in this Gospel of Mark, we've seen since Mark chapter 8, 
until today in Mark 10, verses 46 to 52, this whole section between Mark 8 and now Mark 10, there's been a theme of spiritual blindness. And the point has been that everyone suffers from spiritual blindness. We don't see the world properly. We don't see God and Jesus properly. And it takes Jesus' miraculous work in our lives to fix that problem. So once again, this section ends kind of the, the main theme of spiritual blindness as we've seen it in Mark. It is the emphasis in today's message too. We see in verse 47, when he, Bartimaeus that is, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right here. Bartimaeus is physically blind, but you'll see he has spiritual sight. You see, look at what it says. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, but he shouted out, Jesus, son of David. He heard Jesus of Nazareth was coming by, yet he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David. Son of David is a messianic title. It's like he's sitting on the side of the road saying, yes, the Jewish king is here. Jesus, Jewish king, Messiah, have mercy on me. This is rather revolutionary. It's rather dangerous, too, as you're on your way to Jerusalem. You see, the text is telling us Bartimaeus, though he cannot see physically, Somehow he has spiritual insight into who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is son of David, the Messiah. And that is loaded with meaning. He is the king the Jews have been looking forward to. He's the one that the Bible says is going to come and make everything that's wrong in the world right again. He's going to bring justice He's going to bring joy, and he's going to fundamentally rearrange the world. That's the king that's promised. And, and the Messiah, that's who Bartimaeus says, I know you are nearby. And so he's calling out loudly in that regard. You know, someone once asked Helen Keller rather rudely, you know, isn't it terrible to be blind? And here was her response. She said, you know, it's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. This is true of Bartimaeus here. He may not be able to see a thing, yet his heart sees the reality of the matter. And we get the sense that the other pilgrim followers of Jesus don't fully understand. They don't see who they're with to the same degree that Bartimaeus does. And so you would think that the crowd would say, oh, great, we understand now, but instead, this is what we read, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, God's people behaving badly is nothing new. Once again, I mean, we see, we see Christians, those who call themselves Christians, those who call themselves God's people, regularly in the Bible behaving very badly. 
You see it throughout the Older Testament. You see it in the Newer Testament. You see it right here once again in the Gospel of Mark. These are the people following Jesus. And what do they do for Bartimaeus, who's calling out to the Messiah? Shut him up. Shut him down. They treat Bartimaeus with contempt and derision, attempting to silence him. Now, think about it. They're impatient. They're ready to arrive in Jerusalem because that's significant. Hey, we're following Jesus after all. He's going to do something important in Jerusalem. We don't have time for some blind beggar on the side of the road. Don't bother the master. Let's get on with it. God's people behaving very badly. We'll come back to that a little later. But what's funny here, Bartimaeus isn't deterred at all. He's like, you shut me down, I'm going to shout all the louder. So, I mean, you can just picture in your mind, he's sitting on the side of the road and people are shushing him and telling him to shut up. And he just cries out at the top of his lungs, son of David. And here's what happened. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. The crowd looks at Bartimaeus as one of society's expendables, inconsequential. Not Jesus. Jesus stopped for a blind beggar on the side of the road. He took time for someone who was considered insignificant by everyone else. And he tells the crowd who was just moments ago attempting to shut Bartimaeus down, he says, call him to me. And look at, look at how quickly Jesus' followers turn on a dime here. You know, it's like, uh-oh, we've been found out. Jesus heard us trying to shut him down. Now Jesus has stopped and he's telling us to call him. So they're like, hey, Bartimaeus, man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. We knew he would. (laughs) Yeah, their tune changes really quickly. And so here's what Bartimaeus does. He throws his cloak aside. He jumped up to his feet and he works his way over to Jesus. Now don't miss this little detail in verse 50. Because a cloak for a blind person like Bartimaeus is very important. Uh, During the day, Bartimaeus would be sitting on the side of the road, and he'd have his cloak over his lap, laid out in front of him, calling out for alms. And as people would walk by, they'd toss coins and things onto his cloak. At the end of the day, he'd gather that up, and that's what he'd live on. And then at night, he would take that cloak and put it around him, and that would be his shelter from the elements. The cloak is probably... The most important thing Bartimaeus had. And what he does is as soon as Jesus calls him, what does he do? He takes it and he throws it aside. Literally, he's throwing it away. This is a man who expects his life to change drastically in the next few moments. This is a great contrast to the rich young ruler we met very recently who would not give up his possessions to follow Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. Well, gee, Rick, leaving a garment is a whole lot easier than selling everything you have to follow Jesus. Is it really? 
The cloak is probably the only possession Bartimaeus has, other than a little linen shift he would have been wearing underneath. So the most important thing in his life, he throws aside, indicating I'm not coming back for it. He leaves everything to follow his master when the rich young man just went away sad. It shows, once again, how Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom. The casting aside of the cloak, and this is something you can think about later on your own, it also symbolizes, Jesus, nothing is going to encumber me from following you. Nothing is going to get in the way. I give up my most precious possession because you called my name. There's, there's, there's a lot in that. And so he goes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, now this, is, this is fascinating to me, because if you were here last week, and you heard Kevin preaching on James and John, this is the exact same question, word for word, that Jesus asked James and John. Remember when they came to him and said, hey, Jesus, we have a request for you, He says the same thing. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, it's not that big of a deal, Jesus. We just, when you come into all of your power and glory, let us sit on your right and left. Let us be top dog number one and top dog number two. After you, that is. The exact same question that was asked of James and John, Jesus asked Bartimaeus. And yet, while James and John answered the question with selfish ambition... Bartimaeus answers with humble vulnerability. Bartimaeus does not ask for glory. He does not ask to be exalted in Jesus' kingdom. He doesn't even ask, Jesus, deliver me from poverty. Rabbi, I just want to see. You see, his passion is to get out of the impenetrable darkness that has defined his life where he gropes around in danger, where he's totally dependent on someone else to take his hand and lead him if he's to go anywhere. And then we see some translations don't put the full word rabbi. They leave out the O and the N and just put rabbi. There's only two times this word's used in the Bible. Here, and it's used again by Mary Magdalene. You can read this in the Gospel of John. When Jesus rises from the dead... And he appears to her in the garden, and she says, Rabboni. And, you know, rabbi means teacher. Rabboni is a statement of personal trust. My master, my Lord. And so Bartimaeus, we get such a positive picture of this guy. He's saying, my master, my Lord, I just want to see. And Jesus answers, go, Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road, or the way, as the Greek says. And there's special significance to the way this passage ends in verse 52. Because Bartimaeus, who's now able to see, if you know anything about Jericho, it's a beautiful city. It was sometimes called the city of roses because there was one glory after another, one amazing sight after another to go see. And you might think, A blind guy who's heard about all these amazing things, I'm going to go see all these amazing things in the city. And what does he do? I see my master, and I'm going to follow him. 
Forget all the other sites. The way, and it's Mark's being very intentional here, he uses it over and over again in his gospel to symbolize this is the road of discipleship. The way is one of the earliest Christians, it was their favorite term for themselves, meaning we are people who follow Jesus Christ on the same road that he walked. The way. It's a road of suffering, of persecution, of laying your life down, and all of that is packed into this last little verse here. Bartimaeus is now casting aside every encumbrance, and I follow my master on the exact same road. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. What's he going there to do? To die. To suffer. And I have seen my master's face, and I'm going to see him. And and think about this. What's Bartimaeus going to see on the way? He's going to see Jesus beaten. He's going to see Jesus spit upon. He's going to see Jesus mocked and with a crown of thorns put on his head. He's going to see Jesus crucified, stabbed with a spear, die, These are the things that Christ has now opened Bartimaeus' eyes to. And yet Mark is saying he chooses to follow Jesus. This is just an interesting tidbit to me. If you look in Mark chapter 14, we'll get there later, but there's there's the story of where Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Remember Judas comes and kisses him? And then the guards come in and they seize Jesus. And all the disciples are freaking out and they run away. Well, there's this little two-verse story of in the midst of all the chaos, there was a man there that the guard seized, and he got away by leaving his tunic behind and ran away naked. A lot of people argue that that's Mark talking about himself. He was that man. A lot of other scholars actually argue that that was Bartimaeus because they say, The fact that Mark so accentuates Bartimaeus leaving his cloak behind to follow Jesus meant that all he would have is this little tunic. And then in the garden, Bartimaeus maybe lost it. Can't prove it. Nobody knows who that man was that ran away naked. It might have been Mark. It might have been Bartimaeus. We don't know. I think there's good reason to think it could have been Bartimaeus. So, how do we apply this? Let's, let's talk about it in a couple of ways. Here's the first one. I know this one is probably going to surprise you because this one isn't talked about a lot in church, but I think it's front and center in this passage this morning, and it's this. Friends, expect bad behavior from Christ followers. Expect it. Expect that people who call themselves Christians are going to act in terrible ways. Now, you know, we read this and we think, oh, man, those people were awful and nasty to Bartimaeus. (sighs) Before you start doing that in your head, realize that's us. And we do the exact same thing to each other and to the world in different ways. We can behave just as badly. Even here this morning in our midst, we can behave just as badly. And, and, and I know, this is like, oh, why are you even saying this? One, it's just a reality, okay? And this isn't Stonebridge's problem. I'm going to talk about us because you're here, and I'll, I'll talk badly about us. This happens everywhere. There's no church that is exempt from this. There's no Christian organization that's exempt from this. It's pervasive. Christ 
followers follow him, but they regularly act terribly, sometimes intentionally so. Why is that? Well, because we're all sinners. We've been saved from our sin, but we still sin. And often it comes out towards each other in really nasty ways. It can take a lot of forms. Here's one. Ignoring people in need. Now, generally, I think you guys do a great job of the things I'm about to talk about here. But it's worth talking about so that we can examine our community and repent where necessary. The church can ignore people in need. And when I, think of, when I say need, don't just think of financial need. That's often the first thing we think of is, well, somebody doesn't have money, and so we're going to ignore them in that regard. Now, there's all kinds of need. Even here this morning, there's people in need because of illness. There's people in need here this morning because of loneliness, and we can ignore them. There's people here this morning with disabilities who are suffering because of addictions, mental illness. There are people in our midst this morning with very sincere doubts, and we look down on them like they're a second-class citizen for having doubts. They are victims of disastrous circumstances not due to their own making. And even if it is due to their own making, it doesn't give us the right to ignore them. And we don't say these things, but this is how it can come across. Why, why take time with them? Why inconvenience ourselves? I've got more important things to do. I've got my friends to associate with. So, so you know, let somebody else. I mean, this is a large place. Dave's a feeling guy. Let him go deal with it. That's why we have deacons, right? Let the deacons deal with it. I don't have to. No, no, no. Do we seek to ignore or even silence the cries that come before us? Sadly, churches will often turn their backs on those in their midst with the greatest of needs. My friends, it should not be that way. Now, bad behavior can take all kinds of other forms, too. You know, you may not be in need in some of the ways I just described, but you know what? If you're in the church long enough, you're going to experience bad behavior directed at you. It just happens. And here's some of the ways it can happen. You may be the victim of self-righteousness, gossip, exclusion, personal agendas, self-centeredness, inhospitality, an unforgiving bitter spirit. And we could go on and on and on, and we treat each other in all these different ways. And I think the Lord weeps. You probably know this. Gandhi was sincerely seeking, and he went to, he was in England for a while, he was in South Africa, and he had a really bad experience when he was in the church of Jesus Christ. So bad, he left it, and these were the words he said following it. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Those words are haunting because they're so true of us in many different ways. 
This is how we behave towards each other many times. We put personal priorities before all other things and people. We create cliques within the church in different ways and have our little tiny holy huddle, and we don't really want anyone else to join it because I really like the people I'm with. And you may disrupt the group if you join me, so I'm, gonna try, I'm not going to just tell you you can't, but I'm not going to really invite you in. We foster an us-them mentality in different ways in the church. We ignore someone who looks different than we do. We will destructively argue our personal opinions over inconsequential items to the delight of non-Christians around the world and to the sorrow of our King. Now, my friends, we will all experience these things if we're in the church long enough. We can be so inwardly focused that we can even ignore the very people in this room. And as I said, it's not unique to Stonebridge. What do you do when that happens? What do you do when you're, you're the victim of Christians behaving badly? Christians gone wild in that regard. What do you do? Bartimaeus is a good example. You call out to Christ all the more. You literally push beyond the bad behavior of Jesus' followers to get to your master. And then you join with the other bad followers because you're no better than they are. I'm no better than the people who were following Jesus. You're no better. We are all messed up people, addicted to sin, saved by grace, but, you know, you catch me on a bad Monday morning, I can on you really quickly. (laughs) And you can too. And what we do is we cry out to Christ, we seek Him, We address sin in the community as needed, and we forgive extravagantly just as Christ forgave us. Bartimaeus is an example. He doesn't say, okay, Jesus, I'll worship you from afar. Let this nasty little group of your followers be gone. It'll just be you and me, Jesus. No, he joins the community and walks together with the community to Jerusalem. You don't give up on the church. You don't give up on the community. You forgive. And you also, as you're part of the community, you look for the ways that you do the same yucky stuff. And you repent of it. Push beyond the bad behavior. Here's the second thing, very quickly. Keep calling out in faith to Christ for mercy. You know what? As a church body, we should call out out for mercy as individuals because we're all guilty in different ways of doing what I was just talking about. The crowd's a negative picture of the church, but Bartimaeus can be a very positive one. The biggest picture in the Bible, I think, of what it means to be outside of Jesus Christ and separated from God is to be in darkness. And the story of Bartimaeus is a story of somebody who lived in perpetual darkness who came into the light of Jesus Christ as Christ healed him. Christ can do that for every single one of us today. Those of us who already know him, he can continue to shine light in our dark places. Maybe you're here today and you've never called out in mercy. Recognizing your need is the first step. 
John Stott, very famous Anglican priest and theologian, he talked about his conversion and he wrote these words. He said, I was defeated. I knew the kind of person I was and the kind I longed to be. And between the reality and the ideal, there was a great gulf. And what brought me to Christ was the sense of defeat and the astonishing news that the historic Christ offered to meet the very needs of which I was most conscious. You see, he was, what he's saying is, I recognized how sinful, how bad, and how messed up I was, and how I couldn't fix it at all, and how Jesus did it all. And when I finally realized I could do nothing, and I was defeated, that's what brought me to him. Have you faced your need? Have you come to the end of yourself? Are you at the end of your rope this morning? Here's the good news. Cry out to him because Christ hears your cry. And just like he stopped on the road for Bartimaeus, he will stop and listen as we cry out to him. Are you tired of trying to fix all the people around you? Are you tired of trying to solve all of life's problems? Are you tired of worrying about your kids nonstop? Are you tired of trying to do just a little bit more? Cry out to Him. And He will give you peace and He will shine light into your life. If you're here this morning and you've never asked for His mercy before, here's the bad news. Your sin separates you from God and you can't fix it. But Jesus went to Jerusalem to die on a cross to shed his blood so that your sins, all of them, past, present, and even the ones you'll commit in the future, they're all done. Cry out to him. He will hear you. He will save you. He will make the lines of the hymn that so loved true in your life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you there is forgiveness and love and grace. Lord, you are the son of David. You are the king who has come once and is coming again. And we pray that you would give us the faith so that we know that you can and will meet our need. Give us the persistence to not be put off when other Christians treat us poorly and give us quick repentance when we treat others poorly. And Lord, grant us all the determination just like Bartimaeus had to follow you on the road of discipleship for all of our lives until you come again, Lord Jesus. Amen.